The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Dr. Hackey Reitman, welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're lucky to have returning to us Lisa Wood Shapiro, the fabulous writer who also just happens to have dyslexia, too. Lisa, welcome again to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you for having me. Many people think of dyslexia as just the inability to read. They don't, they don't see the flip side of it with writing. It's it's the it's the other side of the coin, and um, Dr. Eden, who is um, the executive director at Georgetown Center for Learning, um, she I said to her I I can read. Well, I thought I read really fast till I took the Lexplore um, test that's in the piece too, but reading had been kind of conquered, and I was very 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 lucky to be in a school system at a that diagnosed me and put me into a very intensive summer reading program um, with a speed reader. And that's in the piece. And I think, I think that made me a reader and it came later. Like, I think I was trying to think, I think I wanted to read Judy Blooms forever. So I wanted to be part of, you know, some, and I began to read as a teen for pleasure. Now the writing thing, I used to think, well, when I get older, I'm going to be a better speller. And I am amazed at the fact that that subset of words, and I kind of write the, the repeat offenders in the piece, definitely abominable. Um, what were the, I think, there's a bunch, maintenance. You know, these silly words, they continue to bedevil me. And I wasn't, I, I had this acceptance a long time ago that I was not a good speller. I could not spell well. It didn't come easy to me. It was part of my dyslexia, but I really just decided to move on and write and deal with it. Yeah. Let's uh, let me ask you about another kind of technology you spoke about a bit, which is the emerging technology of diagnosing uh, right. functional MRIs and so forth. Wait, you know, you asked me, a, I just want to also finish this question because I actually have a better, also a better way to say why is spelling the other side of the coin of dyslexia? And it's absolutely hand in hand. And I, I just want to say, and I can get into the functional imaging fMRI that I took, but it has to do with long-term memory and decoding, decoding on the other, like the side of the brain. So what happened with me and, and it wasn't ever going to get fixed. So that's the other thing about dyslexia. Some things won't get fixed. So when I contacted Dr. Eden I had heard her on NPR, and there's a link in my piece about this, where she had talked about our brains. So the last time our brains evolved was 10,000 years ago. Reading's relatively new. It's 5,000 years old, but that was the 1%. Maybe rabbis, scribes, monks were reading, royal families. Then the general population, a literate population, is only a couple hundred years old, maybe longer, you know. And so we're using a part of our brain that was really meant to say that's an object, like that's a woolly mammoth. I mean, think about, you know, and we've hijacked that area and used it for reading. And so so what happened when I went for my fMRI, the left side when I'm taking a reading test should be, you know, all activated. That's where I should be doing. But the dyslexic brain and 
dyslexic brains can have different patterns the way they look in an fMRI, but mine was pretty, pretty standard. All of the reading was on the right side of the brain. And so if you think about someone and the brain's plasticity, when you have a stroke or something, it rewires itself. I don't know why the dyslexic brain does that, but I was shocked at um, what a classic kind of fMRI. I was, I, I didn't really want to share it in the piece once I saw it. Um, and so there's two things I could say. I, I, the, the muscle for me to be some great speller, I have used flashcards as a child to try and get there. And there's something going on in the dyslexic brain, at least my brain, where it won't retain the correction. It might for a little while. Um, I might have a gimmick for it. I might have a thing. But it's because of the way um, the brain is activated and what it looks like. It's, it's really using different areas to read. Now, I love the fact that you talk about specific tools such as Grammarly. And when I wrote the Asper Tools book on Asperger's and autism and neurodiversity, it was my goal to give specific tools that you can really use. So what other tools? Now, Grammarly, you, you said, is your major league writing tool. And what other tools do you use in your everyday life, like a GPS? Or... I do. Well, I actually have a fabulous sense of direction, which I've also heard from other dyslexics. Um, so I do, I do use Google Maps. But, I mean, I... I don't know if you feel this way with your your work, but I'm so happy to be alive now. Um, I love, I mean, Grammarly is such a, it's true AI. I mean, it really is learning from its users, I, you know, to some degree, whether how big that is, I don't know. They're not going to reveal it. But um, I mean, Microsoft Word, I use Microsoft Office. I didn't even know the term or think I needed um, accessibility. Like I didn't use a tech, you know, accessibility or, or think about that. Um, I've never used dictation, but a lot of people, um, you know, swear by dictation and they actually get word like one dyslexic, really common. And it's not a cheat. It just works is to say the word and have the word be spelled through dictation and dictation software like Grammarly is getting better and better and better. Microsoft um, is making a whole suite of tools that are going to be part of the office. And, you know, the office of the future is going to have all of this tech and you're going to have one person who has to focus and you're going to have next to them someone with maybe dyslexia and you're going to have someone next to them with Asperger's or on the spectrum or autistic. And they're all going to have their different tech that brings this dynamic neurodiverse, you know, space together. And I think, um, I think that's, what's probably, um, the thing. And also this was the thing that hampered me. And I, I don't know if this is just me or dyslexics that are now adults. I, on my best days, I felt I had outgrown it or I wasn't part of any dyslexic community. I never went to a dyslexic website. I should have. Um, I didn't go to a conference. I didn't read books on it. Um, I have three kids. One child has dyslexia and actually goes to school and uses Orton-Gillingham, which is a, um, a great way to learn to read. And so I felt plugged in. But had I spent a few minutes Googling 
best dyslexic apps of 2018 or 2017 or, you know, a few years ago, I could have helped myself. And so there's part of it. It wasn't that I was a self-hating dyslexic, but I felt that I was working along and had the tech I needed with just a word process, like we don't even call it like Microsoft Word. And so I would say anyone listening to this, um, at least be plugged into your tribe. I mean, you know, dyslexic people were, you know, anywhere from five to 17%. That's a huge margin. You know, there's different degrees of it. Um, I probably was on the more severe, I would, you know, like, there's no scale, but I'll make one up right now. Like if you had a scale one being very, just a touch dyslexic and 10 being extremely dyslexic, I was probably a seven, you know, it's, I'm making this up, but so I do, I do cringe a bit that I hadn't sought out better tools for writing sooner. And I did happen on it in an organic way, but I think, you know, if you were ever diagnosed as dyslexic and you're continuing as an adult, it, it is something I would recommend. And so it wasn't hubris, but I definitely didn't, didn't plug into my community. And I think, I also think this is a growth industry. People are seeing their offices as places that want to have this type of thinking. And I mean, if you, when I talk to other dyslexic and especially with this piece, I mean, we can talk about, I was, the volume of feedback on this piece was enormous. Um, and it wasn't just an email, a little email, it was life stories. And over and over again, you know, there's a theme that comes out. And one of them is, um, I, and I can't prove this, but I think dyslexic minds are storyteller minds. And, and we want to tell our stories. And so whatever tool can help, whether it's dictation, whether it's, you know, or the flip side is you, you're going to have an app on your phone that can snap a picture of text and read it back to you. And I think there's so many tools out there and I think you can't wait for you to discover it. Maybe seek it out a little. And I think that, you know, it's going to be marketed more and more. I do believe. Well, I, I think what's, what's happening is uh, more and more of every kind of neurodiversity there is or quote coming out of the closet, so to speak. And more and more, we're seeing the advantages to big companies of hiring different kinds of brains, you know. And, and uh, some of the people I've had the honor of interviewing, like yourself, uh, Professor Matthew Schneps, who's one of the world's great astrophysicists, is totally dyslexic. Not only that, he can't add up numbers. He has to use a calculator. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's so many different things in his all... None of it occurs in isolation either. So it's all kind of a mix and match. I would, um, I would ask you this. Have you ever written by using dictating uh, voice-to-text software? No, and I never will. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for me. I almost believe that if I had an old typewriter, I would do my best work. Um, I, I love the process of writing. And I, let me interrupt you to give you a challenge. Okay. okay. Here's the challenge. Forget about voice to text. Just, you know, dictate a story as though you're writing it. You're just using a different part of your brain and have it transcribed by whatever means you want. And then 
sit at a computer and write the story yourself and then handwrite it yourself and you'll have three different stories because they all use different parts of your brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can't say, I mean, there's, there's other stuff too. No, absolutely. Um, I, you love writing the way you write. I jump, well, as you can see, look, I jump around it actually drives certain friends crazy. Having, they, they, they tell me one friend told me the other day, you hijack a conversation. <laughs> um, and I do try. I mean, I, I have to actively think, Stay on topic. Don't jump. Um, when I talk to other dyslexics, especially like, well, Gil Gershoni said something interesting to me, and he's the one who runs the Gershoni agency out in San Francisco. And he said when he's in a client, my brain works very, very fast. An idea comes to an idea, comes to an idea, and it's a link, and it goes much faster. And people will say, how did you come up with that? And I can't tell you. And he said, the most important thing for us is we have to regulate. And and I thought that was a good word, like slow it down and and that's what also can make it hard for people to work under a micromanager as a subordinate in an office. How did you come to that idea? And they might not be able to show the work, certain minds, you know, certain, the ways people, certain people think. Um, I do believe that's true. I think I'm smartest. I am clearest when I'm forced to put something on paper and revise it. You know, every piece I write has probably been revised eight times. Um, and so... And you also sound like you have a little bit of something I have. Like I got, a, I got expelled from the yeshiva for... I had authority problems. And I think you have a little bit of an authority problem too. Well, no, I, if I had to be, I was... I could be a good waitress sometimes. Um, <laughs> I... But I think that also comes from some part of dyslexic because it does, it almost makes you an entrepreneur. You're like, well, I think I'm going to not be able to be good in that position. I'll start my own production company. You know, I started a production company in my 20s that made stuff for Viacom within a year. I mean, I, I do think there's that. Um, not to say I couldn't, well, I'll never get a job. <laughs> no, but not to say I'm very good at what I do writing wise. Um, and I don't have an issue. And also I'm a good collaborator, but um, maybe it comes from being little and told I couldn't do things, you know, and that fine line between where agency says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Of course, I'm going to, you know, be a writer. I don't, oh, this was in the piece used to be, and it might still be this, you'd get up career survey when you were 13 when you'd take certain aptitude tests and I'd put down literary and they said eh yeah between your test and your answers to the question you could but maybe you should look into something else and I was like oh. um McDonald's uh, is looking for people like you you know <laughs> I think um I do think the way well it gets back to neurodiversity I, I actually like the way people think and I'm fascinated by that I I did just read the book deep work because right now I'm working on a new book and I'm not great when I'm in the shallows and checking Twitter or answering a phone call and I've really um you know the book talks about how can you get that really deep cognitive work you need as a knowledge worker as a, you know, as a writer, you need to do that, or if you're coding. And 
he says, you know, as a novice, when you first start, okay, I'm gonna no interruptions, no distractions. You can do an hour, and I thought, I'm sure I could do more than an hour. And my first day, where I was clocking, it was 45 minutes, and I worked up. I'm trying to get to four to six hours, but I, I, it's the paradox you talked about. I think no matter what you have, you still also have. That's the one muscle I will continue to work. I, I, I'm not gonna flash cards with spelling, but getting to that deep work to because I'll get a lot more done in four hours than I will in two days in the shallows you know and so that's a hard thing for me and maybe that's my own ADHD I mean I I don't believe in multitasking anymore for me at least yeah well I, again is what we're trying to do at differentbrains.org is just get everybody to look through the prism of each of our brains is different like my daughter said they're, they're like a snowflake no two are alike and to harness the strengths of however that individual's brain works. You're obviously smarter than the average bear, okay? Whatever labels you might have, whether it's ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, and again, nothing occurs in isolation, but if we just look through the prism of harnessing uh, each of our strengths and helping that individual maximize their potential, then people have a better odds if they get exposed to all different things to find what they love doing, they're good at doing, they'll get paid for doing, they'll help other people while they're doing it. And uh, that's the perfecter if you can do it. You seem to have found it. You found uh, motherhood. You're, you love writing. Your whole body language changes when you talk about writing. You're uh, happy to be alive, you know, and uh, your brain is different. Well, big deal, you know. So God gave you a smart brain, you know, and some people get high octane brains like yours and other people don't. But whatever you have to do, that's your brain. True. And I, I will say I also think, I mean, what a lucky time to be alive. Um, the thing that gives me Ajita is when I saw a photo of Jane Austen's writing desk and it was a quill ink and a little table. I thought, well I wouldn't that wouldn't have worked not for me. Well, you wouldn't have had all these distractions like being interviewed for an episode of Exploring Different Brains. You would have been writing and doing something productive, you see? Well But or, or going off to the Yeah, so that so that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm about to uh kind of use August to finish a book now and I'm actually in a couple of days going off to a fishing village where I know no one. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be my next project for a couple of weeks. Um, tell us about your children. So I have three children. Um, I have one child. So I have, um, they're now 17, 15, and 12. Oh, boy. I was very young. <laughs> and um, they, one, one of my children, one of, one, my middle child I knew, um, I don't want to say too much because it's his story, but I did know that he was similar to me and I immediately got an evaluation. Now dyslexia, you can't get that evaluation until a little later, but by five, um, I enrolled him in a school that really was for a special unique learner. There were 12 kids in the class. There was a smart board. Also, um, you know, there was um, sensory audio processing. There was a bunch of stuff that I probably also had as a child, um, dyslexia is highly heritable, 40%. So 
I knew. And um, it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed in the Wired piece, they also made a short film. Um, they did an excellent job. Um, it's about six minutes. And I showed it to my 12-year-old who goes to a typical learner school in New York City. We live in New York City and my kids go to public school. And he turned to me at the end of the movie and he goes, I think I might be a little dyslexic. So, you know, like everyone has, you know, probably. And then I've got one child who can spell anything. And that's the one I'm like, hey, how do you spell? Um, the other thing is, um, you know, I'm Jewish. I always thought, you know, Hebrew was very challenging for me. I had a bat mitzvah. And so, you know, like that was the added bonus of being dyslexic and Jewish. <laughs> Going right to left and left right, to right. right. It makes it even more fun. So that was, and then, um, so, you know, I, I was there and really supportive about it. I would say, you know, our home is, has a lot of neurodiversity. And, you know, I'm very aware of different things that, you know, we can all do well. Um, I wouldn't say we're a great camping team anymore after the last camping trip. But, um, you know, but, but it's funny to me, um, only recently am I talking to people that had dyslexia and I'm totally jumping around this conversation. But I was going to say one of the more interesting conversations I had right after this piece came out was a friend of mine that, I that I've gone to school with since I was in seventh grade, sat next to me. And he didn't know I was dyslexic because I was by seventh grade doing everything I could to hide it and do really, doing well in honors and then messing up on an aptitude test. Um, and then he was in college and a professor did it and he really wanted to talk. So we had a conversation and I thought, how funny that we sat next to each other for six, six years in school and you didn't know I was dyslexic and you didn't even know you were dyslexic and we were all taking in information. And I think it, it was probably harder for him. And I think, you know, I, we live in a time and also that Lexplore test. I mean, we live in a time where diagnosis can happen early and efficiently and, I think the meanest person on earth is a parent or someone in that person's orbit when they ask for the, a word, give it to them. Don't make them sound it out. Don't make them go get a dictionary. That book does not work if you're too far off of a spelling. Give them, like, what lesson are you teaching them by shaming them about not spelling? Or, or if they take in books better through an audible book, let them, you know, I think whatever, and that might be a throwback to other generations, but, but people take in information in different ways and more and more, we're going to see that. And one of the, the most interesting thing that Dr. Eden said when I was interviewing her, she doesn't know if we're going to be reading in 2000 years, maybe we'll take in our information through a different way. How do people find out more about you? Um, my website links to a lot of things. Um, it's lisawoodshapiro.com. Also, I'm on Twitter as Lisa W. Shapiro. Um, you can find me there, and I also I often will post about the pieces I've written. Um, I'm on Amazon. You can get Hot Mess Mom. Um, and The Wired Story um, is still easy to look up, and that's um, How Technology Helped Me Cheat Dyslexia. Is there anything we have not covered today that you'd like to cover, Lisa? I think, well, there's a couple of things I could talk about, um, about the feedback. I noticed that it, dyslexia can be devastating. It can be devastating for people that didn't have a supportive school environment or were in a vulnerable position 
at a young age and were told they weren't going to be any like the the letters I got that I thought were not sad or tragic, but people that really had to overcome were people a generation above me, baby boomers, that might not have had that kind of luck of getting an early diagnosis or had been in a school system that didn't support them or told them they weren't going to do well. And though, you know, and, and whether that person has agency to come overcome that and, you know, and be like, screw you, I'm smart. I'm going to, you know, not everyone has that. And so those, I was surprised. I was surprised by that. I was also surprised by people that are getting a late diagnosis. They suspect something was up, you know, um, especially if you're on the you know, you're, you're mildly dyslexic. So you could kind of get through, you didn't have the bells and whistles. I had a lot of bells and whistles, I guess, as an eight year old. But, um, so that was interesting. I think, I think now more than ever, people are aware of it. I also think, um, the dark side of this is there is, there is a market of quote unquote cures for dyslexia. And I think the most vulnerable person is a parent who doesn't know a lot about dyslexia and somehow thinks, and I'm not going to say exactly what the cures are. And people reached out to me to cure me. Um, there is no liquid that you can put in your body. I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but you know, um, there is no cure. And I think um, there was a dyslexic association that I'd been Googling and I, this didn't end up in the piece, but they had a poster up for parents saying, you know, do not fall for any of these gimmicks. And so one of the things that um, parents that have gotten a diagnosis of a child about dyslexia, it's not an easy fix. Basically, someone is going to tell you life is going to be harder for your child. And that's a very hard thing for a parent to hear. But I would say the flip side of that is um, this is the challenge. And if your child can overcome this challenge and kind of love this challenge, what a gift that's going to be. And, and be very aware that there is a market that preys on vulnerable people trying to tell them they can cure it. And you can't. Lisa Wood Shapiro, it's been a pleasure having you here on this episode of Exploring Different Brains. Thanks for coming back again. Thank you for having me. This was great. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.